Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The Lakers and LeBron James apparently are having relationship issues. Nah, check that. The Lakers and LeBron James and LeBron James's team are having relationship issues. Now, LeBron has not come right out and said it. Not out loud. But then again, he doesn't need to because we have seen this movie before. We know his playbook and he's running it once again, just as he did in Cleveland and in Miami and in Cleveland. We know that playbook. We know that movie. This dude shows up. He posts up. He decides who he wants to run with, then forces or encourages management to make it all happen. And if it doesn't, or even if it does, and it doesn't work out the way he wants it to work out, then he bounces. We've seen this over and over again from LeBron. Now, in LeBron's defense, it has worked in the past. Hell, it's even worked here in L.A. He led them to a ring. So I'll give him that. Put that aside for a minute. It worked. He led them to a ring. Problem is, it's no longer working. And he knows it, and he's pissed. Again, he hasn't come right out and said it publicly, but he doesn't need to because of everything else that he is saying and is doing. From openly admitting that he may or may not be done playing in Cleveland to saying that he would like to play his final season wherever his son Bronny is and then swerving way out of his way to praise other teams' GMs and their eye for talent, but not his own. Not the Lakers' Rob Lowe or Palenka, who did nothing at the deadline. I mean, this dude's not only praising other GMs, he's praising other GMs in other sports. That's how far out of his lane that he's swerving. And while LeBron did force the Lakers, encourage them to bring in Anthony Davis, and they did win a ring, it was also LeBron who pressured, suggested that they bring in Russell Westbrook, which has been an out-and-out disaster. So, honestly, it is rich as hell that LeBron is arguably pissed that the team did not move Westbrook at the deadline. Rich as hell that he's pissed that the team didn't move the guy that he himself asked for in the first place. Rich as hell. And again, not just pissed that they didn't move Westbrook, but reportedly pissed that they didn't move him for John Wall, of all dudes. Oh, and what do you know? Wall just happens to be a client for Clutch Sports, the same firm that LeBron runs. Is represented by. Oh, and one thing to trade one old dude that you wanted with a horrible contract for another old dude with a horrible contract. The Lakers on top of that reportedly would have to throw in or would have had to throw in a first-rounder to get that job done. Something that Rob Lowe Palenka clearly was not willing to do. Not that James gives a damn about that pick, or any pick for that matter, or anything at all other than getting a ring and getting his way. And no, I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm not on the inside. But I don't think I need to be to know this is a bad situation and it's going to get worse before it gets any better. As the Athletics' Bill Orham writes, the situation is like, quote, the early days of a war, end of quote. So LeBron is pissed. His reps are pissed. But how much of this is on him? 
Again, I do want to acknowledge, he did lead them to a world championship, just as he did the Heat and the Cavs. But if he gets credit for that, then he has to take some of the heat for the very thing that's pissing him off right now. Again, as always, great, great player. Below average GM and the worst filmmaker in the history of Hollywood. That's what you get with this guy. You get a guy who can make your roster or break your roster and take an all-time great movie and make it the worst movie ever. It's the full LeBron experience. So where does that leave us? Is he getting ready to bounce again? Too soon to tell. We know he will if he doesn't think that he's got a shot at a ring. We know he will if he doesn't get exactly what he wants. And right now, despite playing unbelievably well himself, the guy does not have enough around him. In fact, he really doesn't have anything around him. In large part, his own doing. But right now, they've got no shot at a ring. And if they've got no shot at a ring, they've got no shot at keeping this guy. Right? If Rob Palenka Lowe doesn't do what he has to do, or what LeBron wants him to do, you know LeBron's going to bounce again. And maybe as early as this summer. But the question is, what can Lowe Palenka really do at this point? Given the assets that he has left, what can the guy really do? Or, better yet, does he no longer really give a damn what a 37-year-old LeBron wants or thinks? And will he just get what he can for LeBron? Because LeBron certainly has value, even at 37. Maybe Lowe Palenka decides, I don't give a damn anymore what this guy thinks or wants. Maybe it's time for us to bust it up and start over and move him. That's the million-dollar question. Do you continue to kowtow to LeBron and clutch sports, or do you move LeBron himself and hit the reset button if you're the Lakers? Tough to say, but I can tell you this. This conversation, this discussion, it's a hell of a lot more interesting to me than the on-court ass product that they've been rolling out all season long. I mean, all of that for what? LeBron's putting up crazy numbers, and they're a sub-500 team, and they look like they're going to have to play their way into the postseason only to get their asses blown right out the second they get there. Thanks for coming. So, this is already ugly and can get much, much uglier. I mean, LeBron taking it to social and hyping Sam Presti. Hell, even less Sneed is one thing. Saying he'll leave the door open to a return to Cleveland is another thing. That's all public. But who knows how much pressure the GM is applying behind closed doors. What I'm saying to you is this. LeBron's got a hammer. He's got a hammer, and he's not afraid to swing it. And that hammer? That hammer is not about his ability or what he brings to it. The hammer I'm talking about is the threat of putting Space Jam 2 on a loop and making low Palenka watch it. Start to finish. That is not something I would wish on my worst enemy. I'm going to say there's only... This is honest now. In my life, in my life, and where I am in my life, I'm going to say there's five people I hate. Just five people. I've got a list of five. And I wouldn't have any, any one of those five watch that movie start to finish. But that's the hammer he's got. He could say to Low Palenka, do it. You do what I say. Do what I want, or I'll make you watch Space Jam 2, start to finish. Yo, that's a hammer now. That's a leverage now. He'd be like, yo, you give me that. You give me what I want. Not you give me what I want or I'll bounce. 
You give me what I want or I'll make you watch Space Jam 2. Every day. Until you do give me what I want. Now that's leverage. That's a hammer. That's just jacked up. Lil Palenka's got to be like, oh, all right, all right, all right, enough, enough. All right, fine, fine, I've had it. All right, get Houston on the phone right now. Damn it, you want our 2027 first-round pick and Russ for Wall? You got it, you got it. Turn the projector off. Whatever it takes. You can have 10 first-rounders. Every bad contract I have. Just, just stop, please, man. You win, Braun. You win. Turn the projector off. Please. Jeannie, Jeannie Buss, should just offer LeBron Jerry West's lifetime season tickets that she already ripped from him. And then when LeBron finally does bounce, she should rip those tickets right back by calling LeBron's wife. No, texting LeBron's wife and say, we're taking those tickets back. And then LeBron will be like, oh, really? Really, Jeannie? Would you sit your ass down and watch my movie? No! You can have the tickets. You can have them. Hell, you can have the team. You can have the Lakers. You can do whatever the hell you want. Here are the keys to the city. Don't make me watch that movie. Man, I missed the good old days. I missed the good old days at Staples while it was still Staples and the crowd was chanting, LeBron's going to trade you. State was 9 for 21 from the field. Previous four before that. To all LeBron's teammates. Ridiculous terror. Now they're going to show up and start chanting, LeBron's going to make you, LeBron's going to make you watch Space Jam 2. LeBron's going to make you. So as always, I want to acknowledge he did win them a championship. You can't take that from him. You can't take that from them. But what have you done for me lately other than wreck the best movie ever? So we don't know exactly what's going behind, going on behind the scenes, but it's not good. It's going to get worse before it gets better, and he's got the ultimate hammer, the movie. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. John Cooper is the head coach there, of course. John, it's so good to have you back. In fact, it's February, John, so I've got to keep up the annual tradition of talking to you in February. How are you, and how is the vibe around the team right now? Damn, Romy, you're good for my ego. I love coming on. Um, it's all good. Everything's, uh, it's, you know, it's been a strange year. Um, you know, COVID has kind of disrupted sports in general for the last uh, the last couple of years, but it's, it's, uh, 
you know, we were real all looking forward. You know, we had Olympic break, and, and that was just supposed to go on. We were all supposed to head over there. I was really looking forward to representing Canada. And then, you know, COVID kind of swept that away from us. And so weird little break going on here. Where we've had like seven days off. Then we had to play some makeup games and then seven more days off and then get back at it. So uh, I got to give the guys credit. It's a hard thing to do. Hockey's, you know, rhythm sport. It's not something you can just take time off and then pick it right back up again. And they've rallied here for a few wins and now uh, really looking forward to uh, heading to uh, Nashville or Nash Vegas, whatever you want to call it. There it is. It's good to have you back, John. John Cooper joining us. In fact, you got ahead of me. I was going to ask you about that because I know that you feel pretty strongly that it's a rhythm sport or a rhythm league. Like when you have that start and stop or stop and go, you've got a couple of days off, you notice a difference. So what does that difference look like to you as a coach? And then how do you counteract that lack of rhythm? It's hard uh, because it's, pick up the ball and go play and throw routes or run routes or do whatever. I mean, you're using muscles you never really use in everyday life. And I'm, I mean, every, you know, everybody's using their glutes and their groins, but it's just different. And uh, even when we give guys a day off or sometimes we give them two days off, just the rest, like they come back from that and they're, we're off. And so uh, to take seven, eight days, it's just, it's just different muscles. And so, you know, like we were playing Edmonton last night with some of the greatest players in the world and, you know, they were, it was tough. They were fast and we were just, you know, it was just off a little bit and missed. We weren't crisp on our passes. And you know, people talk about playing the game fast. It, it's not about, oh, whatever team skates the fastest, plays the fastest. Fa- playing fast means fast. they're really playing the fastest. And, you know, we were just a little off on that. And, and we just, we've seen it with our guys, but all it is is getting repetition and back on the ice and we'll be back here uh, playing well soon. It is rhythm. John Cooper joining us. Now, you say all that, but you did beat Edmonton last night, so you guys found a way to get it done. You got out to a 4-1 lead. John, in the second period, Corey Perry scored his 400th career goal. It's a massive number. I'm curious, what's it been like to have him with you after facing him in the Stanley Cup final two years in a row? What does he bring to your team and the room? So... <clears throat> I truly believe, you know, there'll be debate whether Corey Perry's a Hall of Famer. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, but he's more of a Hall of Famer, not only on the ice, but off the ice. And, you know, it's, I don't think, you know, winning sneaks up on people. Uh, he won a Stanley Cup earlier in his career, but you look at him now as, I guess, whatever you want to say, he's on the back nine. But to go to, to um, Dallas a couple years ago, who had a really good team, Going into the playoffs, I don't think people were was rolling off anybody's tongue saying, hey, Dallas is going to go to the Stanley Cup final. He was a big why they did, and they deserved to go to the final. But I felt like you know, when we were playing them in the final, he was like one of their best players. And, and then the next year, you know, again, Montreal made the playoffs, but I don't think people were sitting there saying, oh, Montreal is going to the final. And sure enough, they go to the final, and Corey Perry is right at the forefront of, of them getting there. And so I don't think it's, uh, it's not by fluke. Um, you know, you, you try and surround yourself with winners when you're in these spots, and we couldn't. Uh, you know, we were in on the Corey Perry sweepstakes a couple of years ago. We didn't get him, but I was sure glad we have him now. And he's uh, been a huge lift, especially for a team that you know we lost a bunch of guys off last year's team, and he's been uh, he's been great for us. I can appreciate that. I like talking about him. And now, a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and then work to resolve them. In other words, what you do not need is a robot. 
And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives that are available 24 and 7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. John Cooper is joining us. And then, of course, John, you've got Steven Stamkos. And he's had to deal with injuries the last couple of years, but he's healthy right now. He leads the team in goals and points. What has it meant to have him playing the way he is? Oh, wow. We've been together now nine years. So I've watched this kid grow from kind of a naive, reckless, you know, player, not in, in a good way. I say that in, a, in, in the most complimentary way because he was just, you know, he'd score, he was skating all over the place. And then injuries, you know, caught, uh, have caught him, and I've seen some bad ones with him. And I just watched him, another one, off the ice. You know, you watch him in our first Stanley Cup run, and he's not really a part of it until he comes in for that one game against Dallas and scores that magical goal. But, you know, I was so excited for him last year when we won because he was a huge part of it. Uh, and he deserved it. And there's another guy, you know, you can probably ticket him to the Hall of Fame at some point. But for him to come in and, you know, I think he's 32 years old, I think, or 31. And, and to, to have this year, especially when we lose Kucherov for most of the year, Braden Point goes down for time. And who's going to pick us up? And, you know, I was talking about the Olympics earlier. Uh, and, you know, I look at, you know, selfishly look at myself having the opportunity to go, but I look at a guy like Stammer that hasn't got been able to play, and you know he played himself right in the conversation. And, you know, you just feel bad for guys like him that way that you know he he wasn't able to be a part of it. So I'm really really happy for him that. He's having the year he's having. We do this every single year at this time. John Cooper is joining us. You know, John, every coach I talk to these days and really the last several years talks about culture. However, from our conversations, yours and mine over the years, I'm not sure that anybody, and I mean this, I don't know that there's anybody who creates and builds culture as effectively and as well as you do. Players come in from the outside. They talk about it immediately and how clear it is that everybody just wants to win, the bottom line. So how would you define your culture and how do you go about building it well oh sorry jimmy still there yeah 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 so it's uh first of all like you have to bring the right people in and i could sit here and say well you know we've created what we have in tampa and it's taken us years to do it but you need to have the right people um and the people that buy in and that's our job as coaching staff to make sure that people buy in that it's you know team first uh, team over self, we always used to say. You know, you've probably heard me say it a thousand times, process over outcome. But it, it's about uh, the collective group and not about the individual self. And it is a hard, hard thing to do, especially when you get young kids in here that start making a bunch of money, you know, and they, and they see, well, if I get this certain amount of goals and this certain amount of assists and I do this, that I'm going to get paid. And it, to create that, in, you need to have guys that believe in you. And then, you know, talking about the Stamkoses and the Perrys and the Maroons and the McDonough's, and you go down the, the Kalorns and Platt, you know, some of these guys have been with us a long time, and the reason they're still with us is because they believe in that. And, and then even, you know, we, some of our star Russian players, it took a little time, but they, it, when, you, when you show the fruits of their labor and how important it is, how when the... Uh, you know, how everybody has success. And so, but it, it's, it, again, I just go back to the players and, and you have to, you know, I say, you know, on, on bad teams, nobody leads. On good teams, coaches lead. 
on great teams players lead. And, you know, we've become a great team because really the players have taken over and, and they, they're the ones promoting our culture and it's really worked for us so Such far. Such good stuff. John Cooper joining us. Such good stuff. Like, for instance, when you have success like you've had, maybe you can maintain that culture by pointing to, look, this is what happens when we do it a certain way, and then you're not going to fight against that disease of me that you're talking about where guys start to look out for themselves. But if the great players are the thing, what about the coach himself? Like, my sense, John, in talking to you, you're always looking to stay fresh, to improve, to stay ahead. I'm curious how you go about doing that. For instance, are there books on leadership or psychology that you're reading and pulling inspiration from or do you take a different approach yourself so that's a really good question because i always make the joke like you know people come to the coach like hey the coach is coaching and it's like well who's coaching the coach right and so you know it took me it took me some time when i was in junior and, and the american league and stuff like that coming on my way up there weren't huge staffs you know, money was always, you know, an issue, you know, growing up and, and not with myself, but like the teams, you know what I mean? Like we don't have the big budgets and stuff like that. So, you know, the staffs were, were tight and it took me a while to learn about getting help and, you know, making sure like, you know, your assistant coaches just aren't assistant coaches. Like they're a part of you and being able to delegate authority. And, and then I started getting into the psychology side of things and, and seeing, you know, because I was against it. I'm not going to be the first one to say, hey, I don't need anybody telling me, like, hey, you're, you know, the psychology of things. Like, I've got that all figured out myself. And put my own ego, you know what? No, I, I do need, I need somebody else to show me maybe what a different direction. My general manager has been great at that with me. But, but in a, you know, kill me for saying his name, uh, Ryan Hamilton, he's been a fabulous uh, sports psychologist only our team but for me and he'll point me in you know right not whatever directions i need to go or give me thoughts do i take all his thoughts no i don't i probably take less than what he offers but i do take time he's opened my eyes and you know just the littlest books like you know like the, what was the last one he gave me uh chop wood carry water you ever read i'm not sure if you ever read with that book it's one of the most simple books but has the greatest kind of message you could possibly have and you know, it's just little things like that that help me out. And then he's always good for somebody else to talk to. It's him. It's the GM. It's the assistant coaches. It's it's opening yourself up and showing a little bit of vulnerability that it's like, hey, I'm not the know-it-all. And the only reason we are having success is because everybody's a part of it, and I'm just a tiny little part kind of connecting the dots. And, uh, you know, like I said, a year, but in Sure, it's, uh, it's worked so far. I love it. Nine full years now with the Lightning, back-to-back Stanley Cups, and you've got that stadium series, which resumes Tampa Bay at Nashville, Saturday, 7.30 p.m. And as I mentioned, this is a tradition and something we do every single year at this time. Got to run down John Cooper. John, I appreciate you so much. I love the conversation. Every single one of them, it's great to have you back. Good luck, and I know we'll do it again soon. For sure. One of these times, we've got to do it in person, Romy. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Now, does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Does that sound familiar? If so, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all the entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle. It's called Direct TV Stream. 
It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. It also means no juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of all the clutter and all the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. So love him or hate him. And I don't know why you would hate him, but some people do. Love him or hate him. The best part of the All-Star Weekend was the arrival of Michael Jordan. Because my man came in hot. Hot. Apparently, nobody knew if he was going to actually make it in because he was at the Daytona 500 earlier in the day. But he flew in, came in hot, hit the ground running. And he was doing what Mike does. And this is the best thing about Mike. Well, I mean, the best thing about Mike was Mike just annihilating and destroying fools back in the day in his prime. But even now, in retirement, if you can call it that, but his non-playing days, he's still looking to settle scores with old dudes and young dudes. That's my favorite thing about Mike. He never lost that. Even at this point in his life, he is still looking to settle scores. Old scores, new scores, previous scores with old dudes and young dudes. There was his threat. It's over the All-Star weekend now. His threat to to take Irv in a game of one-on-one. That was awesome. Then there was the interaction with Carl Anthony Towns and the others that Mike blessed everybody with, with his presence. And it wasn't long before Mike started doing even more Mike things. As an example, Cat. Cat was telling this story yesterday, and it really is one of the better stories I've heard in recent times. Everything was super competitive with him. With Magic yeah. Johnson talking about Monte Carlo, he's like one on one right now. Yep, yep. I was like, okay. MJ came in on violence. That's a great line. MJ came in on violence. MJ did come in on violence. He was the only player in that building on Sunday looking to win. And definitely the only guy who came in on violence. Because he's always looking to win. In everything, all the time. And I would even venture a guess to say he's always coming in on violence. Then comes the story, the part of the story, of what, what happened when MJ and Kat came together. MJ looks at me and he goes, um, I remember what you did to my team. I, 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 seen, I seen what you did to my team. You. Yeah. I say, yeah, I like this energy. Yeah, I like this energy. That's why you see me right in the video go, yeah. <laughs> that is so good. Like, cat's like, yeah, I like this energy. Yeah. I say, yeah, I like this energy. I'll tell you what, I like it too. I like this energy too. Yeah, I like this I energy say, too. Yeah, I like this energy. No, no, I love this energy. I love it from Jordan, and I love it from Cat. I love it. This is the owner of an NBA team, and arguably the GOAT, showing up and F-bombing a guy from an opposing team. You scored 39 on my guys. F you. F you. Yeah! F you. Yeah. I say, yeah! I like this energy! I mean, I understand there's nobody like Mike, and there are no owners like Mike, but can you imagine... For instance, I don't know, Jeannie Buss showing up and F-bombing Luca 
like that? Can you imagine James Dolan showing up and F-bombing Trey Young like that? Actually, that's not hard to imagine. Except instead of F-bombing Trey Young, Dolan would probably be F-bombing his own Knicks fans. But just about any other owner does that. And Kat's probably thinking, who's this old, crusty fool cursing me out for beating his team? Not in this case. Cat loved it. He loved it. He was enthralled by it. He wanted more of it. And who wouldn't? It's Jordan. Of course he loved it. Of course you want him to recognize you. You want Jordan to recognize you. You know, maybe kind of, you know, give you a little nod. But even better is Jordan finding you, getting in your grill, and F-bombing you. That's what you really want. That's where the win is because you know you're in MJ's head. You know you're in his book of enemies now. And that's the best place to be. That's where you want to be. I, I'm not even sure what I love more. MJ showing up and F-bombing the young fella or the young fella loving it and just dying over it. And the funniest part, MJ so iconic and so, and so competitive. He looks back at me and goes, yeah, I said, oh, shit. Yo, I was crying. Yeah. Oh, look at this. Yeah, I was so with the energy. I was Saturday having it. I'm flexing. You can tell. <laughs> you can't tell. Yeah, yeah. So competitive. I love it. Have you ever, ever seen or heard anybody that hyped about being cursed out? Have you ever seen or heard anybody that hyped about anything? Normally, if somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, yo, I saw what you did. F you, man. That's a reason to go. That's a reason to let the hands go. Yo, man, I saw what you did. Bleep you. Yeah? Go? Go? No, 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 not Cat. Cat loved it. Cat didn't want to fight Mike. Cat didn't want it to end. That literally was more exciting to him than almost anything he's ever done on the floor. He didn't want to fight Mike. He wanted to hug it out. That is the rare time when somebody says F you and you say thank you. And you mean it. F me? F me? Thank you. May I have another legend? What else you got? I love it. Because this is the ultimate sign of respect from Jordan. The worst thing would have been if Jordan congratulated you on a game that you played. That means you didn't do jack. But if he's showing up and he's F-bombing you, if he's showing up and he's making a beeline to you so he can F-bomb you, then you know you're real. Then you know you've arrived. He's the kind of guy that you want to have F-bombing you. I get it. It's the ultimate sign of respect. Not only does MJ know who you are, not only does he remember your name and what you've done, but bleep you, man, for doing it. Cat gets that. He gets that. That's why it's like, yeah, I'm about that energy. Because what that energy really is, is about respect. He got over on the goat. Nobody gets over on the goat without feeling the violence. Cat, three-time All-Star. An All-American, he won the three-point contest over the weekend, but you cannot tell me that that moment with Jordan is not the highlight of his career because you know it is. Cat could win six NBA titles, six league MVPs, and it's never going to feel as good as Jordan saying, I remember how you did my team. F you.
young fella. Like he loved it. Jordan. Knowing Jordan. Knowing Jordan after that encounter. 45 is probably on a treadmill right now. Trying to cut weight. Drop a few pounds. Probably even swearing off his tequila. Cigars and golf for a few weeks. Just so he can jump back into a Hornets jersey, get back out there one more time, and beat Cat the next time Minnesota comes to town. Even if Jordan is giving up 33 years, 5 inches, and probably, I don't know, 100 pounds? Maybe that's a bit much, but he is giving up a lot to Cat. 33 years and 5 inches for sure. He's probably texting threats to every member of the Hornets roster because he had to endure meeting Cat and owning the fact that Cat owned all of them. We see Cat, mate. We do see Cat, mate. Just a different kind of cat. Say, yeah! Meow. I like this energy. Training cats and dogs. Meow. Anyway, he's probably making up a bunch of fake stories about all the bleep that Cat has said about Jordan when he actually never said any of it just to give himself some extra motivation and extra juice when he's working out so he can kick Cat's ass the next time he sees him. Or maybe he's going to try to sucker Cat into playing that game that he used to play with the security guards where they throw quarters up against the wall. What I'm saying is there's nobody anywhere who enjoys winning more and losing less and humiliating you more, and snatching your soul more than Mike. And when somebody does it to Mike, nobody hates it more. Do you see the, uh, the absolute glee and exuberance that Mike experiences when he's throwing quarters up against the wall against security guards? So can you imagine what it means to him to win things that actually matter? It became personal with me. It became personal with me. There was no way I was going to let that guy in that yellow jacket ever beat me at wall quarters ever again. I'm here to tell you, as much as Cat loved that, and as much as he's laughing about that, you know Jordan's not. Just as you know that it pisses him off that Cat got over on him. Trust that old man Mike forgets nothing. Trust that old man Mike is still running on that crazy fuel that started coursing through his veins the second he got cut from his high school team. Like, that's never going to run out of that guy. Which is the thing I like best about that guy. It's amazing to me. He's not mellowing out. Cat knows that, and he loved it. Say, yeah! I like this energy! That's infectious. Like, I, I wish that we could bottle or he can inject me with some of that. That was so cool. And once again... The best things about the All-Star Game had nothing to do with the All-Star Game. The best moments of All-Star Weekend were moments like that. And nothing that took place on the floor. I do like that energy. Say, yeah! I like this energy! And only Mike could provide a moment like that. There was nobody else there. All the Alphas, all the Hall of Famers. You find me one other guy in that space that could have got a guy like Cat to respond like that. With that, quote, Energy! Yeah, Only Mike. I like this energy. Yeah, I like this energy. I love it. That was an amazing interaction. At Cell Breeze tweets, Hey, Rome, 
There's a new addition to the deck of Yaz. Hashtag, yeah! Say, yeah! I like this energy! As always, it's up to Alvin. Alvin, can you attach that, at least for our consideration? Or your consideration? I don't know. That, that that part where he kind of qualifies it or begins it with, I say, yeah. You have to clip that out and just put the yeah in. Maybe, but does it make it better? Longer is not better. All right, it's not in. You have to understand, to add to the deck of yeah, the immortal deck of yeah, it's got to be great. We've had a lot of submissions, and they're good, but good is not good enough. It's like the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of Very Good. If you have to make an argument for being in the Hall of Fame, you're not good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Either you are or you aren't. Don't lower the bar. It's not the Hall of Very Good. It's the Hall of Fame. So that's really good as a standalone, but not good enough to get up on the wall. Dear clones, when the two babes in bikinis want to get with me and my bike, back in the day I said, yeah, I like this energy. Signed, Tansman. Yeah, I like this energy. Tell you what, I I had a couple of lines back in the day. It wasn't that, but I wish it were. Don't get me wrong, it was a good day. It was a really good day. But if I had dropped that line in that moment, it probably would have been a better day. You nailed that, dude. Can you imagine Tan Smack on the hog? Beautiful gal in front, beautiful gal in back. Me looking forward, me looking back. And saying, yeah, I like this energy. Yeah, I like this energy. Such an amazing line. That, that line is going to apply to so many things going forward. It might not get in the deck of yeah, but it's an amazing line. An amazing line. You're right, dude. I wish I had dropped that. I did not. And I was pretty proud of what I said in that moment. That will stay between me and the ladies. But I didn't have that line. I wish I did. Man, I can't shake no Calvic. I went from being happy to see him a lot now to I can't shake this guy. He writes, yeah, I like this cheddar cheese. And then he inserts a rat. Yeah, I like this energy. Yeah. Here they come. Ro- <laughs> Romy. Yeah, I like this energy. Signed Alvin when his wife says, I want another kid. Yeah, I like this energy. Nick in New York. There's one from Bob and Ellie's wife. I'm not going to read it. Yeah. Man, I love that. That's already a classic drop. That will be here as long as I'm here. If I do this show three more years, that will be here three more years. If I do this show five years, 10 years, 15 years, that will always be there. Always. If I bequeath this show to somebody else, that goes with them. It's grandfathered in. That's already a classic, classic line. Yeah! I like this energy. I love that. Get used to hearing that because you're going to be hearing that for a long, long time. Trust. Trust. My kids started to run that by me a couple years back. Trust. 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 There's nobody I trust less than you two boys. Trust. Trust. I'm going to start dropping that on them too. 
Like Logs. When Logs pitches, if he gets out of a jam, I'm going to stand up in front of everybody and go, yeah, I like this energy. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or what's your beef? Alana Myers-Taylor is my guest. Alana, so nice to have you on. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm super. I'm super. So you've got an amazing performance at the Olympics that we'll get to, and there's so many parts to it and your journey. But before we get into all of that, I really got to know, I mean, I did ask you how you are, but how are you really, and what have the last few weeks been like for you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm exhausted. So <laughs> we hopped off a plane um, on Monday got back to Atlanta, then flew up to New York to do a couple of media interviews and things like that. So it's been a little bit of a whirlwind and all of this while traveling around with a two-year-old. So it's been a little hectic, but, you know, I'm just super excited to be back stateside and to be able to celebrate these medals with everyone. Yeah, that's awesome. So you were going to be the flag bearer for the United States at the opening ceremony, but then you tested positive for COVID shortly after arriving in Beijing. What kind of thoughts and emotions were running through you when you received that news of the positive test? Oh, this whole gamut of emotions. I think the first thing that came to mind is whether or not we would all be okay. So I tested positive. My husband, my son, and my father all tested positive. So with COVID, you just never know. And fortunately, we were asymptomatic. So just worrying about our health was the first thing. But then it came to, you know, would I be able to get out in time to competition, what I need to do, and how would this shape my entire Olympic experience? No doubt, right? So you're placed in isolation, and that's not what you're looking to do, obviously, when you're trying to peak in time for the Olympics. So you're in a situation where you can't even open the door or choose what you want to eat. What was that time in isolation like for you, and then how did you try to stay in shape and stay right mentally? Oh, my gosh. Isolation was, uh, to say the least, it was pretty terrible. Um, I think as an athlete, you're used to having a certain level of agency. You're used to having that level of control. And especially at the Olympic Games, is you're there to peak. You're there to perform at the highest level. And when you have that all stripped from you, like, it's pretty devastating. Um, fortunately for me, I have, I'm married to the most positive man in the world, and he, and he really kept me positive and, and kept encouraging me and told me to keep my head up and that I could go out and achieve great things as long as I get out of there. But I'm not going to lie to you. It was pretty mentally uh, pretty tough to keep a positive attitude, especially, like I said, when you lose every sense of control you thought you had. Alana Myers-Taylor joining us. I would imagine that's got to be the most challenging part. Like, you worked for years, years to put yourself in position for that moment. Everything is building towards it, and then suddenly it's in peril. How concerned were you that you might get this great opportunity just ripped from you and not be able to do anything about it? 
I was very concerned. Um, you know, I come into those games, number one ranked in the world in both the monobob, the new discipline, and uh, the two-man, two-woman event. So I was very optimistic going in that I would be able to go after these gold medals and then to have that all of a sudden stripped and to know that, you know, I'm 37 years old, there's a very good chance that this was my last game. And to have it go out like that, I was devastated. But I knew I had to keep fighting. I knew I had to keep going after it and try to do whatever I can to make it work. Because if this was how it was going to go out, I didn't want to go out not being able to at least take the ice. You were going to go out on your sword, Alana Myers-Taylor yeah. joining us, Team Bridgestone Ambassador as well. All right, so you were cleared in time for the monobob. That's the great news, but you had missed out on some training runs. How did you make up for that, or was there no making up for that? You know, there's no making up for being actually on the ice and actually able to drive your sled. But fortunately, I had people from all over the world sending me videos, sending me track notes. You know, that's one of the cool things about bobsled is that even though, you know, I compete for Team USA, I actually had some outside help from other countries to help me try and get these medals, um, you know, because they, they know me. They know how hard I work. Uh, they know what goes in day in, day out of our sport, and they know what it was like for me to be in isolation and, and to go through all of that. So they were really going out there and trying to do everything they can to encourage me. That had to be so cool, and that had to feel so good. And then despite all the obstacles, you win silver in the monobob. Knowing everything that went into that, what did that particular win represent to you and mean to you? Oh, my gosh. That was definitely the hardest medal I've ever won. <laughs> and, you know, I've been through challenges. I've overcome things. But that medal meant so much. And I think you could see it. We watched their video uh, you could see me screaming. I've never been that excited to win anything in my life before, but it was so much joy and so much relief in that moment. And at that moment, I only thought I'd won a bronze medal, but any medal at that point was just an achievement of itself and felt like the gold medal to me because it was just so incredibly difficult to get to that point. And I, I was crying every day and bawling my eyes out, and I think just getting to the line was the biggest win there. Amazing. And then there was so much more still. Like, you come right back in the two-woman bobsled. You medal once again. That medal made you the most decorated black Winter Olympian of all time. How does it feel to hear that stat? What does that feel like? <laughs> that was a crazy stat because I think when I started my bobsledding journey, I had no idea that that would even be possible. You know, I thought people who had those kind of stats – had multiple medal opportunities every Olympics and all these types of things. And so now to finally have achieved it, it's, it's kind of incredible and it's surreal. Um, but it really just shows that it's really just more of a marker that I want to leave for people coming after me. I want people to break that record. I want people to go after it. But I want people of all races, all genders, all ethnicities to be able to go after winter sport and be able to go after achievements like that. Well, so the fact is, I mean, you say that and it's true, and you are now a role model in every way for so many people. I'm curious, on the way up, who were the role models who came before you and then inspired you? And, you know, the one that comes to mind most frequently is definitely Vanetta Flowers, She's the first African-American to win a gold medal at the Winter Games. And seeing her actually compete in bobsled is what made it real for me. Like, I grew up as a softball player from Georgia. Like, winter sport was the farthest thing from my mind. But to see a girl from Alabama be successful in bobsled, like, it really made it possible for me. And it made it possible for me to dream that I could go on to have Olympic dreams in, in winter sport. That really is amazing. Now, before you go, we talked about your family. You talked about your husband. All of this is only part of the story and part of the journey. In February of 2020, your son Nico was born and spent a couple of days in the NICU. What, and, and for those of us who have done that, we had a son who did as well, so I, I understand that. And I think a lot of people listening have had experiences similar to that. But what were the first days like for you and your husband during that time? 
Oh, you know, I think I've been through a lot of tough things in my life, but it always goes back to those moments. And as you know, the moments in the NICU when you're watching your child struggle to breathe, you know, struggle to eat, keep food down and things like that, those are the hardest moments of your life. And it's an experience I don't wish on anybody. I don't wish on my worst enemy in the world um, to spend time in the NICU. It's just, it's so heart-wrenching. But also, I think for us and, and for my son, Nico, for my husband, Nick, it developed this greater strength. And I think all NICU parents who have come out of that on the other end or, or even haven't had that kind of blessing to be able to be out of it have found an inner strength that they never realized that was possible. And for me, I think it's definitely lended over to my bobsled side of things. And it's definitely made me realize the importance of family, the importance of my son and those people who surround me, um, you know, like Bridgestone, who is, who is my family. Alana Myers-Taylor is a Team Bridgestone ambassador and a decorated Olympian more so than anybody else. Before I let you go, I also want to make the point that when he was in the NICU, he was diagnosed with Down syndrome and some challenges with his hearing. What was it like for you and Nick to hear that? You know, at the time, we were so focused on just getting him out of the NICU, we didn't really process what that actually would mean. Uh, But at the end of the day, we just wanted to raise a happy, kind child. And so far, I think we've been very fortunate to be able to do that. Yes, it's not without its challenges. Like, we're on the road uh, six months out of the year. We're trying to do physical therapy, occupational music, all these different therapies, and make sure he's taken care of and, and figure out what's going on with his hearing loss. And now he's got cochlear implants. And so we're definitely multitasking and, and running a little, uh, I guess, a, a kinder therapy out of our out of our hotel rooms from stop to stop. Um, so it's not without its challenges, but we just want to go out there and show that it is still possible to live your dreams, regardless of the obstacles that you have. I think you guys are absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing, especially in doing that. I want to ask you about one thing really quickly. You've got a sticker of Nico on your shoes when you compete. So how is Nico doing right now, and what's it like to have him at the Olympics with you? Oh, he's absolutely great, um, and he's always with me. He's the reason I even continue this bobsled journey. You know, um, after 2018, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, but after having him, seeing his struggles, seeing his struggles with Down syndrome, it really motivated me to continue to push the boundaries and continue to go after my goals. And one of the coolest things that it's actually inspired is when I was not given the opportunity to be opening ceremony flag bearer, I actually decided to auction off my jacket for the National Down Syndrome Society. And my friends at Bridgestone um, matched that donation uh, for somebody who bought the jacket and matched it and doubled it. So now they're donating $10,002 to the National Down Syndrome Foundation. So Nico has literally been with me this entire journey, and hopefully what he's able to do is continuing to live on through me. But that's just the best thing. And finally, there's this awesome, awesome video of Nico playing with your silver medal. As much as you have accomplished in your career, how much did that video mean to you? Oh, my gosh, that was the goal this entire Olympics, was to come and hang two medals around his neck. And we actually did it. I still can't believe it. I don't think I'm going to stop smiling for weeks uh, because we actually did it. Now, the medals uh, do have a couple dings in them. They're a little bit heavy for them, so they're a little worse for the wear. But I will gladly let him beat up those medals as much as he wants because that is just a testament to what we've all been through to accomplish this. That's it. That's it. That moment right there is just captured. It's immortal. An American bobsledder, a five-time Olympic medalist, the most decorated female bobsledder of all time, the most decorated black winner Olympian ever, the flag bearer at the closing ceremony, and a team Bridgestone ambassador, Alana Myers-Taylor. Alana, thank you so much. What a great conversation. What a great journey. What a great story. It's a great family, and really nice to meet you. Thank you so much for doing that. 
Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That was fun. Is Nick Nurse. Nick, it is so good to have you back. How are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Nick, I'm doing great, and it's always good to visit with you. In fact, it's great to visit with you. Let me start right here. Given what you've been through the last few years between COVID, playing in Tampa, Team Canada, and more, when the All-Star break came, Nick, it would have made sense to take some time and maybe go someplace (laughs) warm, but that's not what you did. You went to Cleveland to support your guys during the All-Star weekend. Great gesture. What was the thinking behind that, and then what was the experience like? Yeah, well, I tell you what, I was 50-50 on it. I was gonna, I was gonna go if Freddie Van Fleet made it. Uh, so I was, I was kind of had dual options going, but Freddie made it. Uh, so happy for him, and kind of, kind of been a little run with him. Been with him ever since he's gotten the league, and and um, you know, we kind of both got the Midwest uh, background, minor league background, all that stuff. I just, I just wanted to be there for him. End up being a really good choice. It's, I think it's the sixth all-star game I've been been at but it was the first one in the last uh, that I haven't had to be anywhere you know I could kind of do what I wanted to do I just showed up at some events and uh, it was actually really relaxing so I had a good time I had a good time we're talking Nick Nurse obviously Nick it you can it speaks to how, what you feel or how you feel about him. Fred said this about you, quote, it means the world. It just shows you how cool of a coach he is and just the relationship, end of quote. I mean, it's clear what that relationship means to Fred. What's the relationship mean to you? In fact, what do all of the relationships with your players mean to you? Well, they're, they're all, you know, they all take a, a, a different kind of um, – turn or road or whatever you know one of one of the things i always try to keep in my mind is my main job is to keep these guys employed or or move them or move them up you know get get them a raise or get them a promotion or or whatever it would be you know that that is always the first thought in my mind is is how am i going to you know keep these guys um making a living or making a better living than they're making that that's one thing so we always got that kind of relationship going on but you know, with guys like Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet, you know, they're they're coaches on the floor. They're 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 so integral as far as taking what your vision is into the huddle or into the locker room and and keeping that going. You know, because there's always there's always some down moments or or you know the the, the lines kind of thin of, of how the season can turn at times. And and those guys will will go in there and sell your vision and sell your message. And then go out there and play, perform. You know, tough and hard to win, and and um, night after night. So you know those. You know that's that's what Freddie is for me. He's just like such a smart, tough, amazing. You know, I call him a special player. He's really a special player. You know, he knows how to play the game and he hits big shots. I mean, there's not a whole lot of those guys you know roaming around. I love that. Nick Nurse joining us. I think that's great what you just said. And I'm glad that you used the word vision. I wanted to ask you about that because, as I mentioned off the top, Nick, everybody has faced challenges during the COVID era. But as I look at your first four years in Toronto, you win a championship, then you had the bubble year, then the Tampa year, and now this. In terms of that vision, and I'm sure you'll tell me it's a lot easier when you have guys that are focused and tough-minded, but when you go through everything that this team and this franchise has gone through in those four years, how have you managed to keep everybody on point and locked in on that vision well i will, I will say this uh jim it, it's been it's been rough man i, I got you know I, I just flat out will will say it's been it's been rough and it's um it's taken a, 
uh, a toll a little bit here and there. I, I mean, I, I feel like I feel great, and I feel like we're heading in the right direction now. But but it it was some it was some days where you really had to uh, you know kind of regroup and and you know clap your hands and stop your feet a little bit before you left the office and walked on the floor to 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 you know present the positive face you know to those guys that that hey we're going to be okay because you know playing in tampa wasn't much fun uh you know uh the city was great and all the stuff the sunshine but it was just it just had no feel we had no feel we just felt like strangers you know we when we did have three or four thousand fans in they all came in to root for the other team that you know that <laughs> that was like that was like a kick to the you know, backside when when that would happen, and, or and then we we come back, <laughs> yeah, kick wherever. Um, but it was it was, uh, and then coming back, and now we have no fans. We haven't had fans again in our place, so it's been, it's just been weird, man. Everything seems to be weird. Um, but you know, again, give, give right now. I kind of like where we're heading. We got a we got a decent group of guys. Not not a ton of depth, but we're we're building some of that. And I and I just I know I love. I love the way our kind of main core guys fit together, and they go out there and they compete every night, and that's all you can that's all you can hope for. All right, so Nick, I appreciate you, and I appreciate that response very much. That's a really honest response. And you talk about these challenges, and that frankly, it's been really hard. But I love this. You also said, "quote I'm not going to stay in negative city." So very clearly, you would do what you had to do. I love that line. So as a team, in late December, the team was three games under 500. You've gone 18 and eight since then. What's been the biggest change during that time? Well, first of all, I mean, we, we've been a lot healthier. I, you know, I hate to hate to say that, but everybody goes through these injuries, and and for us, I mean, we, we are a little a little thin and a little young. But when we got our main guys out there, we can we can kind of look you in the eye. You know, I I always I always ask uh, my bosses. I said, all I, all I really need for you to do is give me a, give me a team that can look the other team in the eye, and so we can guard them. You know that we're not outsized or out, you know, strength or you know they can just uh, always compare it to Alabama football where they can just give you the ball and run over you. You know, uh, we we need to be able to stand our ground and look them in the eye. And and our our main seven, we got some length and we got some athleticism and and we're starting to do some things defensively that that give us a chance every night. And and like I said, the offense seems to be fitting together. Roles are getting a little more defined. You know, all the stuff you need to, to go on like an 18-8 and eight run in this league. I got it. Nick Nurse joining us. And you also, what you have, you have Pascal Siakam back, who's been playing a lot of yep. minutes since coming back from a COVID-related absence. How pleased have you been with the way he has responded to that? And what are the keys to keeping him fresh down the stretch? Well, he's he's been awesome. He's really played at an all-star level. He probably would have been an all-star if he wouldn't have missed uh, a good chunk of the season. And if you if you take out he, he missed a, a good start I can't remember 15 20 games maybe and then he then it took him a, uh, another 10 or so to kind of you know get back with it a little bit but since then his numbers have been unbelievable his demeanor his, his confidence um, playing both ends blocking shots rebounds he's doing he's, he's he's back to you know that guy that was playing for us um, you know when he was a second team All NBA player. Uh, so that's been a huge lift too. It's you know it's almost like we you know you know we traded traded Pascal Siakam. We got him. We got we got a new guy back. It's been he's been a delight. He's been awesome. Uh, Freddie stepped up. Um, you know OG Ananobi continues to grow. Scotty Barnes is good. And then we got a a super big surprise in Gary Trent. I mean Gary Trent was a was a kind of a midseason trade last year and 
uh, like I said, things were so weird in Tampa last year. I never really got a true evaluation of what he could do. And he came back this year. He's second in the league in steals and dropped 35 straight games. He had a 42-point game. I mean, this, the dude can play, and, and he's really young. And he's feisty, man. He really competes. So we got a, we got a good one there, too. Nick Nurse joining us. You answered my Gary Trent Jr. question. I was going to ask you about him, but you got there first. Uh, you mentioned Scotty Barnes. So let me ask you this. It feels like I've been talking about Scotty Barnes with Leonard Hamilton practically since the moment he stepped onto Florida State's <laughs> campus. What have you seen from Barnes so far this year in his first season? And what do you make of the way he's adapted to the NBA game? Well, I hear you on Leonard. I had a couple conversations with Leonard before we drafted him. So you probably know how those went. They were they were positive. I bet. You <laughs> he, bet. Really, he really likes him, and for good reason. Uh, listen, he loves to compete. He loves to play. Um, again, super young and, and versatile. You know, he can handle. He can pass. He can guard. He can rebound. Um, you know, he's got a he's got a kind of a quirky offensive game where he he just you know eventually will will kind of get this look away shot. You know, he'll be looking away, and all of a sudden he'll you know rise up from 15, 17 feet and shoot. Makes it pretty good. His three balls coming a little bit too. So when teams are you know playing off him, he'll he'll make them pay now and then. Really a, a huge upside, Jim. I mean he's he's young and loves to play and loves to be in the gym. So he's you got a lot going for him. Hey Nick, you know a dude that I've been talking to that I've become friends with, who's a really good dude, is David Nurse. Oh yeah, my nephew. Your nephew. Awesome. Yeah, he, yeah. you talk, give, give me your thoughts for a minute so I can say to him that I asked Uncle Nick about you. He's just a good <laughs> dude, an upbeat dude, a hardworking dude, super positive dude. Give yeah, me some thoughts yeah. on David. Well, David is, um, you know, he's got the motivational couple couple books out. And, and um, you know, the one statement I always say about him is everybody that says, hey, I met your nephew, they always say, man, what a great dude and what a positive dude. You got that going for you in life, man? What, what else could you ask for? Seriously, I got people bump into me all the time and say, man, your, your nephew's awesome. So that's my, that's my quick take on him. I like that. Yeah, very upbeat. Very, very upbeat. And when you meet people like that, normally like, yeah, I man, it's fake. Nobody's that nice. But dude really is that nice. Really quickly, I mentioned your work with Team Canada. If we go back a little bit, you were coaching yep. – the Great Britain team at the 2012 Olympics. You met the Queen, Nick. You met the Queen. How did that come to be, and what kind of conversation <laughs> did you have with her? Uh, yeah, well, I was an assistant coach for the Great Britain team, actually working with Chris Finch, who's the uh, good friend of mine, uh, running the uh, boss, uh, head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves now. I literally was just sitting in the uh, Olympic Village, kind of, you know, they have these little apartments there, and Somebody flung open the door and said, uh, hey, anybody wants to beat the queen, come on down. She's going to be in the courtyard. Wow. And uh, I said, all right, well, we, we, we stopped. We were watching film. We had, a, we had a game, I think, with Russia coming up the next day or something like that or two days from now. And So we go down there, and there's, you know, everybody's out there, and they just kind of grant, randomly grab like seven people, happened to be me and Coach Finch and, and five other people, and, and they brought her over, and, and she just came through the line and, and she said to me, she said, well, you know, what, what, do you, what do you do with the, uh, with, with the Olympic team? I said, oh, I'm with senior men's uh, basketball team. And she said, oh, basketball, you have to be quite tall to play basketball, don't you? And I said, yeah, yes, you do. And then she, she moved on down the line. So nice conversation with her. That's awesome. He is the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Damn good coach. Fourth season with the team. Led them to a world championship. He's a coach of the year in Toronto. Just two and a half games out of first in the Atlantic. They're at Charlotte tomorrow. And as I mentioned, that's how you close the show. Nick, appreciate you. Appreciate the friendship. Always good to have you on the show, Nick. Thanks so much. 
All right. Thank you, Jim. Good night now!